everyone, this is Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I have a unique episode on the Spectrum of Health podcast where we are featuring our webinar that we did with Dr. Marco Ruggiero on the coronavirus vulnerability and learning how to exploit it. If you want to follow along with his video or his slides, you can also access this webinar on sophiaeducate.com forward slash vulnerability. In this unique time, I want to give people a lot of information and education to help dispel some of the fears out there. And Marco does a wonderful job educating us on some of the mechanisms of the coronavirus. This is a in-depth conversation, uh, one that you may have to listen to a few times, but Dr. Ruggiero has been a friend of ours and a really guiding light and looking at how we can really uh, support ourselves and our immune system uh, during this time. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, I'm so honored that you're here today. As everyone knows, uh, Dr. Ruggiero is a big part of our community and we work close with him trying to come up with solutions to help our patients and we had had this webinar planned and uh, Dr. Ruggiero already being ahead of the game um, gave me some topic options and before the coronavirus um, hit um, we're in ground zero here in the U.S. we're in I'm in Seattle Washington and Kirkland um, is a suburb and very close to Sophia Health Institute so we've had to really formulate and figure out how we're going to support ourselves, our families, our patients, and give good information out there. So this is a big part of our goal is to educate you so you're empowered. And um, Dr. Ruggiero is going to do a wonderful presentation, and then we'll do about um, 50 minutes. So we'll see um, how that flows, and then we'll save a little bit of time at the end for Q&A. I know that there's so many questions pouring in. Just please write them in the chat, and we'll do our best to uh, go over them. Um, And for you to know... um, this replay will be sent out in a few days. And then Dr. Klinghart is also going to give us a talk next week. So we're just trying to educate you as much as we can um, and just hang tight. Um, and I'll leave it to you, Marco. So I'll just mute myself. But if you need anything, I'm, I'm here in the wings. So thank you. Thank you, Christine. Thank you so much for this wonderful introduction. And uh, let's start with the acknowledgements. Uh, usually they are at the end, but I prefer... Uh, to show them at the beginning, of course, I wish to thank uh, Dr. Schaffner and Dr. Klingert for this great opportunity. And uh, I apologize in advance because this webinar contains a lot of information. Most of it is technical, difficult, sometimes controversial, very recent. It changes uh, by the minute and in continuous change and evolution. However, this is not entertainment, so I hope you will forgive me if sometimes uh, this will be difficult to understand, but you can uh, replay this talk of mine and of course you can ask for questions. And I thank you uh, all the attendees. Dr. Schaffner told me there are about 8,000 people registered. So I thank you so much for your attention and for the patience that you will have uh, to have uh, to follow this talk. Now, uh, before we start, it's very, very important uh, to remember that any medical or scientific information that I present in this webinar is provided for research, educational and informational purposes only and uniquely. It is not in any way intended or implied to be used as a substitute for professional medical advice. If you need professional medical advice, Go and ask Dr. Klinger, Dr. Schaffner, they are the best, uh, but not today's talk. Today's talk is not medical advice. 
So it's not intended for treatment or care of any disease mentioned or implied in this study with particular focus, of course, on the current epidemics of coronavirus. Caregivers, researchers, and interested parties should research all information given today. And actually, this is the purpose of this talk, uh, to uh, inspire research so that you can further research, further make up your mind. And of course, standards of care for each pathology, including these epidemics, must be followed, as well as rules and regulations established by health authorities of each country. I don't know uh, where are you on the other side of the screen, whether you're in the US or in Australia or in Italy or China. So please make sure that you do not run into troubles and you follow the guidelines of the health authorities of your country. Here in the United States, we follow the guidelines of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, now, this virus now is called uh, COVID-19, coronavirus disease 19. Uh, I will uh, mention, I will call it coronavirus, but uh, we refer not to the general terms of viruses called corona, we refer to this coronavirus disease 19. Now, if we open the website of the CDC of Atlanta, we read, there is currently no vaccine to prevent coronavirus disease. The best way to prevent illness is to avoid being exposed to the virus. And so, I mean, you can read, you don't need my thick accent to read for you, but I recommend, I strongly recommend that you always follow the guidelines of the CDC. And what does the CDC says or writes about the treatment? There is no specific antiviral treatment recommended for this virus. People with this virus should receive supportive care to help relieve symptoms and so on. So again, my strong recommendation is always to follow the guidelines of the CDC. Now, uh, this talk, however, tries uh, to add some information, speculations many times, but let's see where all these uh, leads. And uh, uh, my original idea was to uh, entitle this uh, uh, webinar Achilles Heel. Uh, and the goal is to find the Achilles Heel of the coronavirus. What is the Achilles Heel? According to Greek mythology, is that little spot that makes vulnerable even the strongest as the hero Achilles was in the myth. So just one little spot might make even the most powerful vulnerable. But before we start, uh, we should ask ourselves, am I qualified to talk about the coronavirus? What are my qualifications? Because that's important as well. Uh, well, uh, you can look at the 40 some years of my research activity, uh, just going to Google Scholar and uh, typing my name. You can read about more than 200 peer review papers. And you may wish to know that in the year 2004, so 16 years ago, when there was the first epidemics of SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome, I was giving lectures at the University of Florence at the School of Specializations about that epidemic of 16 years ago. So it's a long time that I've been dealing with these viruses and the disease that they cause. This is an old slide I found in Italian from those old university slides. In 2009, I participated at this event sponsored by the Phoenix Stem Cell Foundation for Human Life, 
talking about HIV. And uh, uh, please uh, uh, stay with me for a few moments and then you will realize why am I talking about HIV now. In the year 2010, I was invited to, to present my results together with Dr. Papini and Dr. Nobuto Yamamoto about GCMAF and HIV at the 18th International AIDS Conference that was held in that year in Austria, in Vienna or Vienna. And more recently, I published peer review papers on journals specialized on HIV research, uh, proposing a new method to enhance the immune responses induced by HIV vaccines. And in the same year, I proposed another approach aimed at revolutionizing the field of HIV AIDS research and aging with wide ranging consequences. All these papers of mine, they are in the public domain. You can download them for free and they're accessible to everybody. Now, why am I talking about HIV? HIV and the coronavirus are two completely different viruses. Uh, one, the HIV is a retrovirus, the other is not. Both have RNA instead of DNA as their nucleic acid, the seat of information, but they are different. There is no doubt that they are different. However, they have something in common. They need certain proteins that are called spikes. Spikes are like needles uh, that uh, are necessary for the viruses, both of them, to attack the human cells. And they also need certain enzymes that are called proteases to attack the human cells. So they have these, uh, a couple of these in common, and we'll see later that they also have something more in common. So they need uh, proteins called spikes that uh, can bind to their receptors on the human cells, and they need enzymes called proteases for the maturation, for the formation of these spikes. Now, this is something uh, that uh, goes back to my experience with proteases uh, back in 1986, when together with uh, Dr. Lopetina, I published a paper in PNS sponsored by uh, Sir John Vane, Nobel Prize in Physiology of Medicine uh, in 1982. So I have some familiarity with these enzymes, proteases, uh, that today we know are necessary uh, both for HIV and the coronavirus uh, to become infectious and to attack human cells. Now, as a matter of fact, uh, recent experiments uh, have demonstrated that uh, the spike protein of the coronavirus uh, as affinity for, an, um, for a receptor that is on human cells. It is called ACE2 receptor, angiotensin converting enzyme 2. And the point is that this strain of coronavirus that is responsible for the current epidemics has a higher, higher affinity for the human receptor than the original SARS virus strain. So this virus is particularly infectious because it has a higher affinity for this human receptor. So this makes it uh, so much more efficient in inducing infection. <clears throat> now let's find out how this coronavirus attacks the human cells and why it is so infectious, why it is much more infectious than the other coronaviruses. Where does this peculiarity come from? Uh, 
you may wish to know that in the past uh, couple of years, uh, a new way of publishing uh, scientific results has come out. Until then, uh, scientists used to publish uh, their papers in scientific journals like Nature or Science or The Lancet or the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, this process, however, is uh, slow because uh, you submit a paper, sometimes you wait months until the peer review process is completed and the paper comes out. Nowadays, uh, people don't have months, don't have weeks, don't have days to have their results published. So there are the so-called preprint servers, servers established by major institutions, universities or laboratories that publish papers that do not undergo peer review. So the, the scientists, they produce their results in their laboratories or their observation at the bedside, wherever, and they publish them right away. So in this way, uh, the entire world can see the results in real time. Now, this server is called the China XIV, uh, that stands for China Archive. It is mostly in Chinese, but fortunately, uh, many papers are there in English. And also this, of course, is uh, uh, the op in the open access, so everybody can read it. Now, this uh, paper is particularly interesting, came out a couple of days ago. And here, the authors that come from major Chinese institutions propose the reason why this virus is more infectious than other coronaviruses. So now we are looking at research that is performed in real time, as if more or less we were in those laboratories working on these viruses. Now, these researchers, they uh, essentially uh, demonstrated that this virus is more infectious because it is the target of a human enzyme. In other words, this virus can be attacked by an enzyme that we all have on our cells. Unfortunately, when this enzyme of ours attacks this virus, it produces the formation of the spikes that bind to the human cell receptor. In other words, this virus is peculiar because unlike the other coronaviruses, it can be activated by these enzymes that we have on our cells. This enzyme is called a furin. And uh, as this image from that paper shows, at variance with the original virus for the old SARS epidemics of 15, 16 years ago, now this furin can activate the coronavirus and make it much more infectious than all the other coronaviruses. Now, this mechanism of action is not new, is not uh, unique for the coronavirus. Many proteins are inactive when they're first synthesized. Many viral proteins, but also many hormones, proteins of our bodies are inactive when they are built by the cells. And they have to have sections removed in order to become active, as if you were removing a lock or a sheet something so that you can use a tool. So these proteins, they have to be clipped by enzymes that are called proteases. And one of these enzymes is this furin, that is again a normal enzyme that we all have. Now furin cleaves these sections of proteins, of many proteins, and activates the proteins. Unfortunately, it also cleaves some sections of the 
precursors of the spikes of the coronavirus, and unfortunately, it makes the coronavirus highly infectious. But this is not uh, unique for the coronavirus because furin is one of the proteases that is responsible also for the processing or activation, if you prefer, of the HIV precursors that are necessary for HIV infection. This is all the information, as you can see, and this was published in 1992, uh, where they were trying to inhibit or block the activity of this enzyme, furin, because furin is responsible for activation of HIV as well. And as I say, that this is not unique for the coronavirus. Even other infectious agents like anthrax, that is called by a bacterium, not by a virus, the Bacillus anthracis, is a target of furin. And again, furin inhibitors, uh, that are molecules that block furin, protect cells from anthrax. So again, this is a, something, a very common mechanism of activation of proteins and in the case of pathogenic agents is also a mechanism that makes the germ, whether a bacterium or a virus, a pathogenic. So there is a, a research to block this process. As I said, both need proteases to be activated. So you need this uh, process of transforming an inactive protein into an active protein able to bind to the human receptor so that the virus becomes infectious. And this is good for HIV and also works for the coronavirus. But let's see if they have something else in common. Let's see whether HIV and the coronavirus have something else in common. And let's take a look at, at a paper that was published on the last day of January of this year. So essentially just a few weeks ago. This paper was published in BioArchive that is a preprint -serv pre server by the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory. It is a laboratory that is home to several Nobel laureates. And they have this wonderful service, this preprint -pre server for biology. Now, this paper was published by uh, Indian researchers from India, from the Indian Institute of Technology of New Delhi, from the University of Delhi, and other Indian institutions. Now, uh, what did they write? Let's read it together and let me try to translate from uh, technical English into something more understandable. Again, they say the spike glycoprotein of coronavirus is cleaved into subunits. So it is processed, it is activated from, from one protein, you make two, and there they are the active proteins. The S1 subunit helps in receptor binding, and the S2 subunit facilitates membrane fusion. So both help the virus to attack the cells and to enter into the cells. They say the spike glycoproteins of coronaviruses are important determinant of tissue tropism and host range. So this means uh, there are different coronaviruses. Some of them, they are infectious only for animals. Others are infectious for men. What makes the difference? These spikes, the spike glycoproteins. So some spike glycoproteins only bind to animal cells, so they're not infectious for humans. Others, they bind to human cells, and so they become infectious for us. And of course, the spike glycoproteins are critical targets for vaccine development. 
For this reason, they write, the spike proteins represent the most extensively studied among coronaviruses. And we, the Indian researchers, therefore sought to investigate the spike plaque protein of the new coronavirus to understand its evolution, novel features, sequence, and structure features using computational tools. In other words, they wanted to understand how comes that this virus, out of a sudden, out of the blue, comes out and becomes extremely infectious for humans. Uh, the answer is in the uh, spike proteins. So what these spike proteins have that make these viruses so infectious, so efficient to attack and infect human cells? So what do they do? They compare the sequence, that is uh, the composition of the spike proteins of the coronavirus with those of HIV. And they found something very interesting they are identical. So actually, uh, for tips, for inserts, uh, the terminal part of the spike proteins of the coronavirus, the new coronavirus, and HIV are identical. And they have a high density of positively charged residues. So they have a positive charge, you know, like in a battery, you have a positive and negative pole. So also amino acids, they can be positive or negative. And both the spike proteins of the HIV and the spike proteins of the coronavirus, they have a high density of positive charges. Now, they keep on writing. Delving deeper, we found that these insertions, so these parts of the spike proteins, were similar to HIV-1. Our results highlight an astonishing relation between the proteins of HIV and the spike proteins of the new coronavirus. These proteins, they remind us, are critical for the viruses to identify and latch on the, onto their host cells and for viral assembly. So uh, these sequences are those that are responsible for the virus, for the new coronavirus, to attack human cells, just like they're responsible for the HIV to attack human cells, as it was known for the past 20 years. Since the surface proteins are responsible for host tropism, that means which type of cell they attack, human or animal, changes in these proteins imply a change in host specificity of the virus. So they mean uh, these viruses were not pathogenic for humans. They were pathogenic only for animals. Uh, they have become pathogenic for humans because something has changed in these spike proteins that are those that recognize the human receptors. What has changed? The fact that now the coronavirus has HIV portions, HIV parts. According to the reports from China, there has been a gain of host specificity as the virus was originally known to infect animals and not humans, but after the mutations, that is, after the insertion of the HIV sequences, it has gained the tropism to humans as well. So now it is able to attack human cells as well. And this is how they represent. So, uh, you know, this looks uh, like an arrow, and this actually it is the spike protein. This part here, one, two, and three, are the tips of the arrow, and these are the parts of the HIV. So all this is the spike protein of the coronavirus, but the tip, that is, uh, you can uh, think like the tip of a needle or a tip of a real arrow, the tip is identical in HIV and the coronavirus. Now they 
kill, scientifically speaking, themselves and their paper by writing this. This uncanny similarity of novel inserts in the new coronavirus spike protein to HIV and GAG is unlikely to be fortuitous. Taken together, our findings suggest unconventional evolution of the new coronavirus that warrants further investigation. Now, this uncanny similarity is unlikely to be fortuitous as given rise to all types of speculations. As a matter of fact, for a scientific article, this article has received attention comparable you know, to uh, Kardashian-style uh, TV uh, shows. 100,000 people all over the world have looked at the abstract. Almost 100,000 people have downloaded this difficult technical uh, article. And looking at the attention that it has generated all over the world, the overview of attention for this article, it is number one out of 73,000 articles ever published in this preprint server since its inception a few years ago. So this article has been seen by hundreds of thousands of researchers. And because of those words, uncanny similarity, unlikely to be fortuitous, has given, has given a birth to a number of theories, essentially to conspiracy theories. Uh, these, uh, uh, I just uh, printed these uh, this morning, uh, just Google coronavirus uh, conspiracy, and you find 85, 85 million results in uh, less than a second. And essentially the idea is this virus has been built in a laboratory, and then it has escaped, uh, purposely or not, from the laboratory because it is unlikely to be fortuitous that you find HIV sequences in a coronavirus. Now, uh, let's see where does this virus come from. Uh, let me anticipate, nobody knows as of today. So if you ask me, do you know where is this virus coming from? The answer is, I don't know it, nobody knows it. Uh, I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories, so I prefer to look at science. Now, uh, this paper was published again on China Archive by Chinese researchers just a few days ago, and they write, Philoepidemiologic uh, analysis, that is looking at the RNA of the virus, suggested that the source of the new coronavirus at the one nan market was imported from elsewhere. So now the theory that the virus was generated into this wild animal market, poorly regulated, now it's over. Now the virus has been imported from elsewhere in that market. Now, the crowded market boosted the circulation of the virus and spread it to the whole city in early December 2019. But the virus came from somewhere else, uh, from where we don't know. Uh, this uh, was published three days ago. It is in Italian. I couldn't find it in English. But essentially, uh, an Italian study that has been published in the Journal of Medical Virology and immediately sent to the World Health Organization uh, demonstrates that the epidemics began between October and November. So the theory that in January uh, the virus jumped from a bat or from a rat or from some other wild animal uh, to humans in that market is overcome. So uh, 
the virus came from somewhere else and the virus was there in, in mid-October. So you see, things are changing very, very rapidly and there is more that we don't know than what we know. Let's go back to the article of those Indian researchers. Because they use those words, uncanny similarity, that is unlikely to be fortuitous, they were pushed or forced or invited to withdraw the article. So uh, now this becomes uh, quite paradoxical. The article is uh, still there, you can see it, you can download it, uh, you can do it right now if you like, but it has this red alert, this article has been withdrawn. Uh, why the Indian researchers, uh, they decided to withdraw this paper? Were they forced? Were they invited? Was their own decision? Nobody knows. You can ask them. If you have any question, please contact the corresponding author. Uh, they say, uh, quite diplomatically, that this paper has been withdrawn by its authors. They intended to revise it in response to the comments received from the research community on their technical approach and their interpretation of their results. So nobody knows uh, who uh, invited these authors uh, to withdraw the paper, to retract the paper. Uh, paper is uh, still there, you can read it, uh, whatever the case, uh, it is now officially retracted. Now, let's try to use our head. Let's try to use logics. So we have a lot of information, uh, interpretation can vary. So let's see if our ability to interpret things, to read things uh, helps us. Now, let's uh, use uh, some logics. If this uncanny similarity between the spike proteins of HIV and the new coronavirus were true, one may assume that drugs that are effective against HIV would prove useful against the new coronavirus. And this would be particularly true for the HIV protease inhibitors that have been developed for the past 20 years or so, because both the coronavirus and the HIV, they need the proteases to be activated. Is this true? It appears to be true, because on the 27th of February in Nature, Biotechnology, so highest level of credibility, they published this article where a coronavirus puts a drug repurposing on the facet track. So drug repurposing means drugs that were designed for something, they are repurposed for some other goal. And we see that HIV protease inhibitors are now on clinical trials for coronavirus. So they seem to be effective against the coronavirus, but also other drugs like AZT, the famous or infamous AZT, that has nothing to do with proteases, that is effective against HIV. It has a number of side effects, but there is no doubt that it's effective against the virus. Now it is on trial against the coronavirus. So apparently uh, what works against HIV uh, with or without side effects may work against the coronavirus as well. These are the tri clinical trials, official trials, not alternative, no conspiracy theory, official trials, you can check the numbers. So essentially this uncanny similarity has prompted uh, medical researchers to try HIV drugs against the coronavirus. Now, if the protease that is responsible for the activation of the coronavirus and makes it so infectious is this furin, as it is, 
these uh, Chinese researchers, those that I have mentioned before, they found potential furin inhibitors, which might be used in the treatment of the new corona, uh, pneumonia due to the coronavirus. Now, uh, again, you can go and download the paper and look for yourself. So I will very rapidly go through this list of a number of things. And please remember that in China, the classification of drugs and supplements is obviously very different than from the US. So something that here in the US is a supplement over there, maybe it is a drug and the other way around. So they have this table with a number of uh, furin inhibitors from the drug database. You can recognize something like folic acid, you have uh, uh, heard of that, or the L-arginine or the L-dopa. Methotrexate is an anti-cancer drug so a long list of 18 different drugs that may work as furin inhibitors and as such, they may help counteracting the activation of the coronavirus. You recognize the folinic acid, you recognize the glutathione. Again, glutathione in this table is listed among drugs. Somewhere else is a supplement, but let's not be picky about classification. Now, uh, given the uh, millennia old tradition of Chinese medicine with herbs and botanicals, they also have another table, table three, uh, where they find potential inhibitors of this protease that activates the coronavirus from natural products. Now, I cannot even pronounce all these botanicals. Let me tell you, these are botanicals that you can find in many shops and you can go for yourself and look at the source from Camellia sinensis to other, uh, other herbs that, uh, again, I have difficulty in pronouncing. A long list that goes on uh, and uh, this table ends with 14 different botanicals that may act as furin inhibitors and as such inhibit the formation of the spike proteins of the coronavirus that in turn are responsible for the high infectious potential of this virus. Now, the drugs and the supplements listed in the previous tables from the Chinese authors are potential furin inhibitors. What does it mean? It means that those drugs and supplements may help preventing the formation of the spikes that the coronavirus and the HIV as well use to attack the human cells. Now, in the following slides, we shall consider other approaches that neutralize the spikes. So in other words, once the spikes have been formed, can we neutralize them so to prevent the attack of the virus onto their targets on the human cells? Can we block somehow those spikes? Can we put like a tip or like a safe on top of those spikes so that they do not bind to their receptors and the viruses are not infectious any longer. As this slide says, now this cartoon is about HIV, but we have seen that the mechanism of action is the same. The tips of the spike proteins, you remember those very colorful arrows? that are the binding sites might be therefore another potential target for inhibiting the binding of the new coronavirus or the HIV to their targets on cells. Now, I don't know if you remember, but those tips, they show a peculiar concentration of positive electrical charges. 
And this is what was written by those Indian researchers in the paper that has been withdrawn. So you see the tips that are the same in HIV and the new coronavirus. They have a high concentration or high density of positively charged residues. You may wonder, am I basing uh, all the hypotheses on an article that has been retracted? Uh, not actually because uh, uh, a couple of weeks after that article from Cornell University, authors published in another preprint server, this is called Archive, a structural modeling of the new coronavirus. And if you want to lose your eyesight, you can go and look at the sequence of the amino acids and you will find the exact identical sequence to that. It's around here. You can go and look at exactly identical sequence as that shown by the Indian researchers in their withdrawn paper. So in other words, the sequences are for real, they are there. And there is no doubt that the tips of the spike proteins of the new coronavirus, they, are, they have a high density of positively charged residues. Now, if you wish to neutralize something that has a high uh, positive charge, sorry, uh, you need something with a high density of negative charges. And fortunately, uh, this is something it, that happens to be a subject of my research since 1984. When I was studying glycosaminoglycans that are kind of sugars, polysaccharides, that are extremely rich in negative charges, like heparin or uh, chondroitin sulfate, they are the biomolecules with the highest, negative, highest density of negative charges in the world, in the biological world. So this is a, uh, the chemistry of the chondroitin sulfate, and it is highly negative because of the presence of carboxyl and sulfur, and sulfur groups uh, with sulfur that are highly negative. So we now have compounds that are highly charged with negative charges that could bind to the tips of the spike proteins of the new coronavirus and HIV as well, and therefore to neutralize those tips to prevent the attack of the virus onto the cells. Again, let's use some logic. If this were true, chondroitin sulfate would be an inhibitor of HIV infectivity. Uh, let's forget about the new coronavirus for a moment because nobody has tried it as yet. But if the coronavirus and the HIV, they have the same tips positively charged on the, the extremities of their spike proteins. And if all this is true, then chondroitin sulfate that is negatively charged should attack, should bind those tips and prevent the infectivity. Because as I said, uh, the HIV has the same positively charged tips on the spike proteins. Now, this happens to be true and to be known since 1998, when it was published, you can retrieve this paper in PubMed, that uh, chondroitin sulfate and carrageenan, so uh, other polysaccharides that are highly negative, are potent inhibitors of HIV. And before this publication, there were two patents filed in 1986 from uh, Japanese uh, pharmaceutical industry, uh, where they propose 
polysaccharides like chondroitin sulfate for the treatment of diseases, plural, caused by retroviruses, plural. And this other patent was, uh, uh, the application was filed one year later in 1987 by uh, Lutpel Pharma, a big pharma from Germany. Again, chondroitin polysulfate for the treatment of immunodeficiencies caused by retroviruses. So it is well accepted now for uh, more than 20 years that chondroitin sulfate, because of the uh, negatively charged moieties, uh, the high density of negative charges, uh, can block uh, the infectivity of HIV. Could it block the infectivity of the coronavirus as well? Uh, no experimental data as of today, but at least theoretically, it could. And as a matter of fact, it does uh, against other viruses. So it is not specific for HIV because other viruses as well, they use positively charged molecules on their surface to attack their hosts, whether the hosts are humans or plants. So this paper was published in 2005 Chondroitin sulfate is a potent inhibitor of herpes simplex, or chondroitin sulfate against tobacco mosaic virus. But apparently, this is a universal mechanism. If you have something like chondroitin sulfate that has a high density of negative charges, it can block all those viruses that use tips with positive charges. So could it work against coronavirus? Again, no experimental data, but theoretically it could. And talking about uh, chondroitin sulfate, we recently described a novel type of chondroitin sulfate that is the product of microbial fermentation. In other words, does not derive from animal sources like shark or bovine cartilage. You can go back to this talk of mine that I gave uh, for uh, the Sophia Health Institute uh, that was on the 3rd of October 2018, so it was uh, one and a half year ago, where I described in detail this new chondroitin sulfate that has the great advantage of, being, of coming from microbial fermentation and also of having a much higher density of negative charges. Uh, this is the original paper published in 2014 where uh, these researchers they demonstrated that this microbial chondroitin sulfate is three times more efficient than the animal derived and it reduces the level of pro-inflammatory cytokines in the human plasma. So are you afraid of cytokine storms? Uh, this could be good because it has been clinically demonstrated to reduce the plasmatic levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines. And another paper published in April 2019 on the same topic states that the chondroitin sulfate from microbial fermentation possessing a lower molecular weight than an animal derived sample produces a greater chondroitin sulfate concentration for a more prolonged period of time in plasma and most important an increase in charge density of endogenous plasma chondroitin sulfate. Then you can ask Dr. Schaffner where you can find this microbial chondroitin sulfate, or you can go back to that talk of mine that I gave in October of 2018. Now, let's leave the chondroitin sulfate for a moment, because in addition to chondroitin sulfate, where else can we find natural, can we find, sorry for the typo, 
naturally produce molecules with high density of negative charges that can neutralize the tips of the spikes of the viruses. Again, microbial fermentation gives us an answer. As you may know, we have been working on microbial fermentation with a goal of producing immune-stimulating molecules, DPMAF or GCMF if you prefer, since 2018. This is our first paper published in 2018 where we demonstrate how microbial fermentation leads to the production of GCMF that in turn uh, can uh, rebalance and stimulate the immune system. More recently, uh, I would say just a few weeks ago, we published a paper demonstrating that microbial fermentation leads to molecules that are hundredfold more efficient than purified DBP or GCMAF in attacking nagalase. Another time we can talk about nagalase, but you can go uh, to my archive and download this paper of ours where we demonstrate that the product of fermentation is about 100 times more efficient in binding uh, or against human nagalase than purified BCMF. So now we have, thanks to microbial fermentation, these molecules that are 100 times more efficient than GCMF. And these molecules, they show a peculiar concentration of negatively charged residues in correspondence of the sequences that bind viruses. Uh, stay with me for a few more minutes and I'm very close to the end. I know this is extremely complicated. Now, let's talk about another virus. But we have seen that many viruses, they use the same mechanism to enter into the human cells. Now, this is the hepatitis B virus. The hepatitis B virus binds to these sequences of its receptor that is called NTCP, stands for sodium taurocolate co-transporting polypeptide. Don't worry. This receptor is uh, very similar to uh, GCMF. And GCMF in this region has a high concentration of negatively charged residues. In other words, it may block the tips of the spike proteins so that they cannot bind to their receptor on human cells. Other options, rapidly. We have been talking about neutralizing the spikes. We have been talking about preventing the formation of the spikes. How about stem cells? You remember I was working on uh, this topic in 2009. Actually, uh, our observations were then published by Nature. NPG stands for Nature Publishing Group. So this is a journal of the Nature Publishing Group. And if you like, I don't know whether this is available online. If it is not, please ask and I will send you a reprint of this paper. So uh, this comes again from the China Archive a few days ago. Clinical remission of a critically ill coronavirus patient treated by human umbilical cord mesenchymal stem cells. So they use uh, stem cells from the umbilical cord and they observe a clinical remission of one patient. You may say, well, one patient, good for him, but is this clinically relevant? And by the way, you know, all this research comes from China, only one patient in China treated by Chinese researchers. So very interesting about can this stem cell treatment be generalized? Well, let's see. Uh, now, this is another paper, transplantation of 
stem cells from the umbilical cord improves the outcome of patients, plural, with the coronavirus pneumonia. Long list of authors, and you can recognize uh, many of these authors, they don't have a Chinese name uh, because uh, they come, they come uh, from Paris, France, they come from Tel Aviv, Israel, they come from Fort Worth, Texas, they come from Hong Kong, they come from Russia, they come from Spain, they come from India, they come from United Kingdom, they come from South Korea and even from Palermo, Italy. So uh, this is a, a multi-center study with uh, researchers coming basically from all over the world reporting the same excellent results treating patients with mesenchymal stem cells. Uh, this is the conclusion of this paper. Ultimately, the patients with severe coronavirus pneumonia survived the worst condition and recovery. I realize that their English is as good as mine, but I think it is understandable. Therefore, the fact that transplantation of a mesenchymal stem cells improved the outcome of coronavirus patients may be through regulating inflammatory response and promoting tissue repair and regeneration. So again, we go at the anti-inflammatory responses that we have seen in another paper, in another study with the chondroitin sulfate. Uh, for those of you who are interested in images, uh, you can see uh, the beautiful difference uh, between uh, before and after. So you see that the pneumonia, the lungs are completely cleared after this uh, approach with mesenchymal stem cells. Now we are at the end. And I think that the word uh, that the Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld, pronounced in 2002 in a completely different setting are perfectly appropriate. What is the message here? The message is that there are no knowns. There are things that we know that we know. There are things that we now know we don't know, and there are many. There are things that we do not know we don't know. And also of these, I am afraid there are many. So when we do the best we can, and we pull all this information together, and we then say, well, that's basically what we see as the situation that is really only the known unknowns and the known unknowns. So uh, the Secretary of Defense was mocked because you know, it seems uh, not understandable, but actually that's the reality. There are many things that we know, many things that we don't know, and also many things that we don't know that we don't know. So the conclusion here is that it's an evolving situation. Uh, we are learning every day thanks to this new way of communicating a scientific result in real time. We are learning from what they are doing in some laboratory in China, in India, in Italy, in the United Kingdom, and of course United States in real time. And this is a, a wonderful advantage that maybe will change forever the way science is communicated. I truly hope so. Uh, we cannot wait for months for results to be published. We cannot wait any longer. And uh, so what's the message here? Message here is, uh, of course, uh, to all, always, always, always follow the guidelines and uh, refer to competent and highly professional doctors like those that you can find at the Sophia Health Institute. Uh, it has been a pleasure, a honor, and a privilege talking with you about all these things today. I stayed within the time limit. I hope that uh, uh, at least something was understandable 
if it was not, please go back and replay this talk or feel free to ask Dr. Schaffner or myself. I thank you so much. Thank you so much, Marco. That was incredible and is making me think about a lot of different angles for treatment and prevention. Um, and I'm going to have to listen to this one more time. Um, do you have a few uh, minutes for questions? Some Absolutely. Questions? So a lot of gratitude. People are really grateful for your presentation and your time. Um, so let's just um, go through and everyone, uh, remember, we're going to send out the recording. So don't worry if you had to hop off or um, joined us a little late, we will send the full recording. Um, Okay, so lots of questions rolling in. Um, I guess taking a moment about the chondroitin sulfate. So we know um, people are asking about what products or any microbial fermented products that have the chondroitin sulfate. So um, we do have um, our Sophia Flow Cream that has this in that. Also the Bravo Probiotics. Um, the Immuno, uh, would you um, consider that a product to have the right chondroitin sulfate as well, uh, Marco? Yes, uh, the immuno has the uh, microbial chondroitin sulfate, so uh, it has this uh, high density of negatively charged uh, targets, uh, and so might be useful. Again, there are no data demonstrating mm -hmm. that the chondroitin sulfate uh, works against the coronavirus, but all previous data accumulated in the past 20 years or so against a number of other viruses seem to point into that direction. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to see the mechanism of the furin inhibitors. Um, a lot of the herbs that we're recommending um, in, at Sophia are coming up, so andrographis being one of them. We haven't recommended the green tea, but there are some um, retroviral formulations that we have been working with um, via BioPure. So BioPure has a product called NV that has um, mushroom extracts, and it does actually, um, I believe, have the green tea. I have to check that out. But, um, but yeah, that, it's just interesting. I didn't know about that being the mechanism of why they worked. Um, okay, and so um, so colostrum or beta-glucan for prevention and treatment, that's a question. Um, any comments on that? Well, colostrum in itself, uh, it's a good uh, stimulant and uh, rebalances mm -hmm. the immune system, even better when it is fermented as in the products of microbial fermentation I've mentioned, because from colostrum you make GCMF, and mm -hmm. GCMF in addition to all the non- uh, actions on the immune system, it also has uh, these uh, negatively charged sequences that might be useful in binding uh, viral molecules. So colostrum is good, fermented colostrum is better. Mm -hmm. Someone's asking, do you have any thoughts about quercetin being a treatment? Uh, no, I don't. I haven't found it uh, in uh, you know, in those lists of potential furin inhibitors. Mm -hmm. But I assume that not all potential treatments have been studied uh, as of today. Probably, maybe in the future, they will. So uh, I know what I found uh, published until today. Maybe in two weeks from now, we could have a much longer list of products that could be potential mm -hmm. inhibitors, both of furin uh, processing or uh, the spikes or other mechanisms. Um, someone's asking about ozone therapy. Um, we use a lot of ozone therapy and you can get an ozone home gen generator. We do think that is a tool. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Uh, there is no direct evidence, uh, okay. but again, uh, drawing a comparison with other viruses and other infections, I would say, why not? It, it should be useful. Mm -hmm. 
So um, there's a question around, um, you know, some, some of our enzymes or proteolytic enzymes have um, protease in them. Um, any clarification around supplemental protease or proteolytic enzymes in this connection with... Um, well, our we have a lot of uh, proteases in our stomach, mm -hmm. otherwise we couldn't mm -hmm. uh, digest anything. Uh, so I wouldn't be worried about this because here the problem is the proteases. Here the problem is that the virus, the coronavirus in this case, is susceptible to these proteases. It shouldn't be. It has become by mutations, insertions, or whatever. So uh, I, I don't see any point in inhibiting uh, general proteases. We need proteases for processing of our proteins. We need proteases for digestion. So uh, we have to block the mechanism of action of the virus, not the proteases that we need in any case. Mm -hmm. And then the, on the list, I don't remember if it said folic acid or folinic acid, and people both, are asking. Both. Okay. And then methylated folate is big in our community just because of um, methylation um, SNPs that we're supporting people with. Do you have any comments on folic versus folinic versus methylfolate, it seems like they'd all do the job. Well, they, they seem all to be good in inhibiting the furin according at least to those theoretical studies. So if you are good with methylated folic acid, well, you know, the methyl group, they simply increase the potency and the efficacy of the folic acid. So I would say again, why not? They are mm -hmm. not toxic, they have no side effects. Um. So this question, if HIV protease inhibitor is repurposed for treatment, wouldn't it be the case that it is with HIV that the disease will take hold if the drug is stopped? If not, that would suggest the virus dies after some time if it is not um, activated, true or not? Any thoughts on that? Uh, <laughs> no idea. Right. I, I think not even those who are running the clinical trials right now have no idea. Uh, I, I would ask myself another question, yeah. and uh, you know, oddly enough, uh, I couldn't find this question anywhere else. But uh, assuming that all this is true, and actually, I didn't, uh, I had no time to insert another slide. I had 76, so more than enough. But just a few minutes ago, I read that there is another researcher from Chinese researchers again uh, demonstrating uh, these. Uh, a mixture of HIV and the new coronavirus. So it is being confirmed by several angles. So my question is, and I'm not answering, so I'm asking the question, whoever hears or listens to me, please provide an answer. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any remote possibility that if you are infected by the new coronavirus and you know 80% of patients they recover, so you recover after a while, and everything is gone, everything has passed, everything is forgotten. Is there any possibility that you become positive to HIV, even without having ever met the HIV, simply because you have been infected by a virus that has sequences that are identical to HIV? I don't know. I have this question. Nobody, I don't know if anybody has the answer. If somebody has the answer, please answer this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really fascinating question. And then, of course, um, you know, my brain is also going to how this um, stimulates our own endogenous retroviral activation and kind of um, that piece to the puzzle as well. So, um, so yeah, I think this is a very to be continued uh, conversation. Um, 
I want to respect Dr. Ruggiero's time. We're um, getting close to 11 o'clock. And so, um, again, this replay is going to be sent out. Um, Dr. Klinghardt is also going to do a uh, talk for our community next Tuesday. So he's going to digest more of the information. Again, we're on the front line. Um, we're taking temperatures and um, dealing with, um, you know, patients who are um, coming up with symptoms. And so we are really on the front line of trying to treat people and be as safe as possible. So um, I think we're going to be learning a lot, but I'm all about education, empowerment. We have so many tools to support people. And Dr. Ruggiero just gave us so many um, therapeutics and mechanisms to think about to support ourselves and our patients. Um, one thing I just want to share because, um, you know, it's something that we're using. Um, there's something that we've shared with our community called BrioTech HOCL. It's a hypochlorous solution. Um, they're actually local to Woodenville, and um, you can take this um, orally or as a spray or as a disinfectant. And they have even on their uh, website that they've shown that it has um, effective for the family of coronaviruses. Obviously, this is a novel coronavirus that we're all um, up against. But Dan from BrioTech, um, who's the owner, he um, may be able to talk with us um, some more. And he's actually going to be talking with Trump and Pence about his findings. So hopefully, um, that will be a, a solution. So as far as protecting yourself, I've seen some questions about MMS, which is a different type of chlor, um, chlor, it's chlorine dioxide, not this hypochlorous solution, but we're spraying our faces at the clinic, our hands, you can nebulize that. So that's something that, you know, we have available and you can check out their website. And then of course, that whole suite of products, um, the Sophia Flow product being one of them, the Bravo suppositories, um, the yogurt, um, and then the immuno, um, if you have access to that. So um, just stay tuned. We have a lot of tools. I mean, I think at this time, as um, Marco and I are really, um, we can, you can get into the fear very quickly. And so I think um, listening to a lecture like this, even though it stimulates a lot more questions, we have a lot of solutions that we just heard about. So um, that's what I'm all about. And vitamin C, we're all um, taking at least two grams of vitamin C a day at the office, as well as intravenous um, vitamin C um, as well. So um, again, we have a whole host of toolkit, uh, a toolkit. And Marco, you might laugh at this. I always think that conventional medicine freaks out with viruses because they don't have as many tools. And we just have so many tools. We just need to um, know when and how to apply them for appropriately. So, um, well, I'm not laughing at these at all. Again, I had no time and uh, I already had too many slides. Uh, but uh, if you wish, I can send you another paper. Uh, comparing a Chinese traditional medicine that is highly recommended in China for the treatment of the new coronavirus and Western medicine. Mm -hmm. So this is a very well done paper by Chinese researchers. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is nothing to laugh about because when uh, more than 1 billion people, they uh, trust uh, mm -hmm. their traditional and the authorities, Chinese authorities, uh, they trust uh, the traditional medicine. This means uh, that uh, there, there must be something. So it's not something laughable, not at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then um, one other um, I just site I want to make sure people uh, know about is they were asking about that other um, webinar that you referenced to. So we have a website called sophiaeducate.com. And um, Marco, all of the talks that he's given for our community are on that uh, website. So if you want to learn more, uh, please go there as well. So um, any parting wor uh, words, Marco? Uh, again, we're so grateful for your time and this was so informative and um, I'm just gonna be yeah, digesting this more and I know that we're gonna stay in touch about how we can 
um, yeah, just come up with more and more solutions for everyone. Absolutely. And again, I remain at your disposal for any question. You feel free to forward them. I don't know if I've answered all the questions that were presented to me in advance by your colleague, but I think a few of them I did. Mm-hmm. And if not, feel free. Great, great. Well, we'll be in touch and maybe as we learn more, we'll do a part two. And um, But you gave us a lot to think about. So thank you so much. And Thank you, Christina. Yeah. Thank you to everybody. Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoy this webinar with Dr. Marco Ricciero. Again, if you want full access to the webinar and the slides, please visit us at sophiaeducate.com forward slash vulnerability. On the website, you will also find other recordings and webinars that we have done. And if you want to stay in touch with us, you can also join our newsletter through that website as well. I hope everyone is staying healthy and safe, and I look forward to hearing from you should you have any comments, feedback, or suggestions. Thank you so much.